So we're going to talk about prevailing church, I will give. We started on this uh, July 1st, never got it completed, so um, going to go down that route. So we, we, I always start these messages saying we're building a prevailing church, and by the word uh, prevailing church, what we mean is we are trying to become a people that engages culture, that contends with culture, and that overcomes culture that engages culture, that contends with culture, that overcomes culture. Uh, I would like to say that when I hear stories, and I hear stories from all of you at different points during the week, I find that all of us are doing it. Each of you individually, in your own situations, workplaces, streets, are doing it individually. You are engaging people outside of the Christian community. You are contending for the faith and letting people know who Christ is, and you are overcoming the ways of this culture, and it's evident in your stories, but each of us is doing it individually. I would like us as a church to begin to do it together, or the word used is corporately, and individually. Because usually church works this way. People do things individually and it helps the church. I'm saying Acts 29 should have the ability to take on this city based on what God wants us to take on. And we must see and show people what it looks like. And so one of the things I've been asking God is, Father, what impossible thing in Vancouver would you give to Acts 29 where we can take something that is impossible, engage it, contend with it, bring down Goliaths if necessary, and overcome the culture that this city presents in that area, and in the process, learn how you do things, and in the process, pay a cost for doing it, and in the process, show other churches and the world that this is how the kingdom works in a city. That's my desire. Each of us is doing it individually, and your stories are fascinating, but what does it look when a whole people take this on? What does it look when the church in Ephesus results in the folding up of the guilds of silversmiths and goldsmiths and blacksmiths because Diana is going out of business? No, 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 no. Don't look at her. I'm talking about the other, Artemis. B because the business is falling. What does it look like then? That is what I'm saying. Father, give us something impossible. I, I, and I'm doing it half with excitement, like Jane was saying, and half afraid, because it would mean that there would be a cost to pay, because uh, Goliaths are not easy to slay. You have to learn how to use the sling. So a prevailing church, and it's the only kind of church Jesus was building, is a church that engages culture, that contends with culture, contend requires some degree of battle, and then overcomes culture. And why does Jesus build a church like this? Because the prevailing church must take on the nature of its head. And Christ contended, endured, and overcame. Christ contended. Christ engaged by coming down to the earth. Christ contended by taking a stance. Christ endured by paying the cost. Christ overcame because he is an overcomer. 
And if that is the nature of the head, that should also be the nature of the body. And so on one hand, we are saying, yes, the Great Commission is make disciples, but what kind of disciples? We must make disciples that are overcomers. And the moment you use the word overcomer, you imply that there is a battle that must be endured and must be overcome. The moment you say overcomer, it implies that there is a battle. It implies that there is a battle. These are things that uh, churches don't have the privilege to enter into. And I pray God that God grants us this privilege to enter into things called battles that he fights, but we hang on to his tailcoats as he runs amok amongst the enemy. And so, do we really know what we're talking about? No, but uh, can we learn it? Yes. And the thing with overcoming is, Christ in his letters to the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation, kept saying, to him who overcomes. So he expects the church to overcome. But then he says, to him who overcomes, I will give or I will grant. There is rewards for overcoming and the rewards are not material. The rewards are much, much richer than material stuff. Material stuff, remember guys, is always the things that are added unto you. Prosperity materially is always the things that are added unto you. The real riches are other things that today we'll talk about two of them, just two of them. Real riches. And when you, I assure you, if you taste the riches that we are going to talk about today, your life will never be the same. You can live on love and fresh air. No, you can't. I'm just saying that these riches that we're talking about are so tremendous that money would be nothing in comparison. You would actually believe that. Money is always something that is added unto us as we seek other more important things. Money is always added unto us. Jobs are always added unto us. Promotions are always added unto us. Any material prosperity is super important, but it is something that is added unto you. It follows. And so the devil's only move when it comes to prosperity is instead of having it follow you, can I put it before you so that you're always running after it? And it's been highly successful. So what do overcomers overcome? What do overcomers overcome? Here are the three things overcomers overcome based on the word. One, they overcome seduction or temptation. Two, they overcome opposition by the devil and his forces, by satanic forces. And they overcome persecution by his agents here on earth, by human agents. And three, they overcome the strong cultural sway of the world. These then are the three things that the church will be forced to succumb to. And when I say church, I don't mean church as a, 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 an organization, as the people of God, these are the things that they'll be forced to succumb to. And you see it in your own lives. There's the first thing that 
we have to overcome its seduction and temptation. It could be something as simple as Jacob, do not be seduced by the time you squander on things that are not necessary, even though I'm bringing you into greater things that need greater focus. Or do not be seduced by your job or your money. Do not be seduced by your lusts. Do not be seduced by illegitimate habits. Do not be seduced or tempted. That's the first thing overcomers overcome. And we see in the letters that Jesus writes to the church that these were things that the churches were going through. Where he says to one church, you've lost your first love. Something seduced or tempted them to leave their first love. God was still important, but he wasn't the one. The second thing that we as a people need to overcome is the opposition of the enemy. I hear your stories. I hear how pressure was put on you. You felt like folding. And then you rose up again and you said, Oh God, in the past I would have broken, but I will stand and I will see your victory. You begin to speak like Moses saying, I stood and I saw the rescue of God. This church has had story after story of this. Well done. Well done, church. With the little that you get, you have made it much. Every face I look at, I can think of stories. It's fascinating what God has been able to do through your life. And we have benefited as you shared these stories. There is opposition that will come from satanic forces. But the one thing that this church has learned is to a degree to combat that. And we will go further. And then there is persecution that comes from human agents. We've not really felt that, but we know the silence that begins to come over us, the intimidation that comes over us in this culture. The silence and the intimidation are the weapons used in this culture to persecute Christianity. And it's a mild form of persecution. There's no loss of life. There's just tremendous fear to stand up for God. But even that we shall break as we get the courage to speak for the one that we love. And this is the right time to speak and say something like amen. Thank you. Next time try to do it without the cue. And the third thing is the strong cultural sway of the world. I know we've defined it again and again, but it's so important to redefine it. Culture is the collective thinking of a people. There is a collective thinking that Canada has. We see it expressed through the premier, through the prime minister. We, we see it expressed all around us. We see it expressed through the media. We see it expressed through education and entertainment. And to be able to stand against it is not easy. Particularly for your children to stand against it. You as a parents have to take a stance, eh? Because it's overwhelming. The collective thinking of a nation at present. It's overwhelming. Teach your children how to stand. And one of the ways to prevent them from being swept away by it is by preventing them from watching hours of meaningless TV. Regulate their television times because it is the one media through which edutainment educates and changes the minds of children. Calling good what is evil and calling evil what is good. Calling evil good. By changing standards, by lowering the neckline, raising the hemline with guys and with girls. I'm not thinking of girls in particular. Everything changes. And it is done through audiovisual means because that has always been the means through which the devil has used. The devil has attacked humans right from the Garden of Eden where he starts out with, this is pleasant to the eyes. It's not just TV. I would say the TV is the best that 
Yeah, me being the age I am, when I say TV, I mean all of social media. Because the word TV is shorter than social media. Though I do have a Twitter account. And I had Snapchat for two weeks. I do have an Instagram account and a Facebook account. I'm with it, though I've not posted for the last five years. <laughs> so, this is what prompted Jesus' letters to the seven churches, saying, hey guys, these three things you're failing in. There was only one church out of the seven that he did not say anything to in terms of failure. To every other church, he was warning them, listen, you started a certain way, you've ended a certain way. You started in a certain way, you're going to end a certain way. You started a certain way, but be careful, you may end a certain way. Because he knew what was afoot. You think Jesus does not know what ails Acts 29. And what would he write in a letter to us? I'm not talking to a personal letter to all of us. But what would he write to this church? Through this messenger, what would he write to Acts 29? Saying, hey Acts 29, watch. What would it be? I have a few thoughts. But this is what I sometimes, when I ask somebody, hey, do you have a word for the church? Sometimes it's not how wonderful we are that God may want to say. He may start off with, this is how wonderful you are. These are your problems. Change or otherwise. Oh, and by the way, I'm for you. That's the, that's the tone of the letter in the book of Revelation. Keep that in mind. So how do we overcome? How do we overcome? The reason I'm kind of rushing through this is because we already spoke about this on... Thank you, Derek. Derek's going to the UK in October. Uh, he's going to watch Liverpool play Manchester City. He got tickets for the game. He'll also work a little while he's there because his company is sending him. The game is on a Sunday. Uh, he may not go to church, but he may go for the game. Oh, sorry, I was just talking to myself. I didn't know I was on the mic. Shh, sorry, Derek. <laughs> so, <laughs> how do we overcome? We talked about this a while ago. How do we overcome? One, according to the letters written in the book of Revelation by Jesus to the churches. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? God really didn't do, need to do this. But what kind, of, what kind of head of the body is this? What kind of Christ the Messiah is he? That he actually takes time to write letters. And then he writes letters and he actually uses postal service. He sends angels to the messengers in the church to read it out to the rest of the church. And then it lives on forever. How amazing is this? These are actual letters written by Christ, sent to us. <sighs> Amazing, eh? And so, as you go through Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, you see, how do we overcome? The first thing we do, if you want to overcome, is we hear the Spirit. He keeps saying, Jesus keeps saying, if you want to overcome... He always prefaces it with, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is 
saying. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. As a pastor, as one who leads this church, it is critical for me to hear what the Spirit is saying. And this, these are the disciplines or these are the places I want to rise to. Not just for myself, but for the sake of the body and for the sake of Christ. If you're leading a house church or involved in a house church and in some capacity as a leader or a contributor to a house church, then you must learn how to hear the Spirit. And if you don't, then we are the ones who suffer because of that. If there is one thing you pray for me, it is that, oh God, help him to keep hearing you, keep rising to a level where he can hear you. Because if you don't hear the Spirit, then what do you lead the body by? So the first one is, hear the Spirit. Second, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. In John, I think it was 14 or somewhere, he says, tribulations will come, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome. Be of good cheer. I've seen that in Acts 29. I, I hear you talking about things that are happening to you and yet you come and say though the fig tree shall not blossom yet I shall do cartwheels of joy and I will rejoice in the Lord for I know what is coming be of good cheer this is another way of overcoming John 16.33 talks about it because testing forces your life of faith of your faith life testing forces faith life into the open Testing forces faith life into the open. And it matures you so that you lack nothing. It's 1 Corinthians. James 1 and 1 Corinthians something. James 1 talks about it. Yeah, it's actually from James 1. That your faith life will be tested so that its colors can be seen in the open. And when it is tested, you will mature and you will lack nothing. Therefore, if you want to overcome different people going through different situations here, is there anybody who isn't? But one of the ways we overcome is to be of good cheer. And to be of good cheer is to be joyful despite what is happening because you know that the final outcome and the final word always rests with him who put his own life down for yours and will never be separated from you. He'll always have an answer, guys. He'll always have an answer. He will always have an answer, which then drives you to the first point. But if he has an answer and I do not hear his spirit, how do I go about figuring it out? Do not learn how to hear because you want to know the will of God. Learn how to hear because it is the only way to live. If you don't have his words, what do you have? I don't want his will. I just want to have a conversation with him on everything. I want to find out how he thinks. If I find out how he thinks, then the will does not matter. Teach me to find out how you think, O oh God. And every time you think, O oh God, you put your power and your thinking into words. Help me to hear your words. That's all I need. I shall hone my skill in this for the rest of my life, O oh God. For your sheep, hear your voice. got a present in this guys there'll never be a day when we are there because there's always more to learn tomorrow this is a this is the most beautiful thing about Christianity you never get to a place where you have reached full knowledge
Third, your faith. How do you overcome? Your faith. Your faith that overcomes and conquers the world. Your faith that overcomes and conquers the world. Your faith. Keep increasing in it. Faith, faith, um, uh, faith comes by hearing but grows by stretching. Faith comes by hearing but grows by stretching. Faith comes by hearing but grows by stretching. Ask God to invite you into things that will stretch your faith because otherwise it does not grow. Oh God, now that I've learned this, oh God, would you now increase my faith? I've heard faith comes by hearing. I have faith. Now, oh God, would you please grow the faith by stretching me? Ask God to invite you into these things. A passive Passive Christianity or a passive Christian does not go knocking on God's door for extra invitations. Passive Christianity finishes the work that is done and then sits because tomorrow work will come again. One of the problems with Mark as an employee is that he works at three times the speed that the other employees work at. Most of the people that work with him don't want him working with them because he finishes the work in half the time and then he goes asking for more work. He doesn't pace himself. Be like Mark. Finish things quickly and go to God saying, what's the next hill you want me to take? I'm 85, I'm 80. But I want those hills where the Anaks live. Hey, if there was anybody who had the choice of land that he could have had like this, because only he and Joshua did not go the route of the ten spies. They could have had anything in the land. And what does Caleb go and say? Give me the land where the Anaks dwell. But, but, but Caleb, them fears. I know I'm 80, but... Give me the land. They got chariots with iron wheels. Give me that land. That is active Christianity. Oh God, give me another challenge. Oh God, this ain't good enough. You know, it's important to be soaked in the scripture. Jesus told the people who came to tempt him, you err because you do not know the scripture. Yep. Guys, Here's what I'm saying. Active Christianity does not, does not want to just do what you're doing right now. Imagine your son or daughter coming and saying, Daddy, I've finished this. Can you take me? I want to jump two more meters higher. I want to jump 30 meters more. I want to learn how to ride the bike without the side wheels. Or, Dad, help me to ride with a pen. Or, Dad, I don't want to just stir an egg. I want to make an egg. Whatever it, people like doing. The point is this. Which father does not want a child like that? Enthused to learn more. Active Christianity. Any questions before we go on? Guys, this won't come unless you go looking for it. Because here's the thing about God, and I've said this to you before. He parts the curtain so that Prashant can have a glimpse. But he will not completely draw it aside because Prashant has to be curious and inquisitive. He has to come and start pressing his nose against the glass pane to see what he saw a glimpse of. Then God opens. 
Because the things he gives you are so precious, so precious that you must have a desire for more before he opens it. Any questions? We are going this way. We will all go this way because God has put far too much into this church now to turn us back. It's like, my God, I've fed you. My dad used to say this to me when I was a kid. I've fed you so much, you better be taller than me. Because till I was 14, I wasn't growing. I mean, I was growing, but the wrong way. And so, <laughs> I wasn't growing straight up. So, and my dad would tell him, he said, Money, I've fed you far too much. You've got to get taller than me. It was like a threat and a desire. I didn't know how to fulfill that. So even though I didn't know God too well, I'd start praying, oh God, could you make me slightly taller? Acha has fed me too much. And eventually I grew taller than him, which isn't much of an accomplishment, but it still was worth what it was. The point is this, guys, that I don't know what the point was. The point is, yeah, there was a point. Our faith is another thing that helps us to overcome. Your faith that overcomes. When you read Hebrews 11.33, you see the faith that overcomes, that was able to put down kingdoms, that could cause enemy armies to flee, that had the dead returned to life, women had their husbands restored. It's the faith that overcomes. 1 John 5.4 talks about the same thing. In 1 John 5.4, it talks about the faith that conquers, the faith that conquers. You need faith for that, and this church does not lack in it, because it's been taught plenty, you've heard enough stories, there is no lack of faith in this church it's a commendation praise God fourth one assurance of his love assurance of his love assurance of his love you've heard me say this before and I love saying it because it's such a characteristic of God one of the things that your God specializes in is he is a God who reassures the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament are continuously uh, just um, bombarded with statements from God that reassure a people, reassure individuals. He'll always come up and say, I will keep you. I will be with you. Do not fear. He is a God who reassures. When I'm going through a difficult time, even if he does not give me the answer, there's only one thing I want from him. Oh God, can I hear your reassuring footsteps next to me, your voice next to me, in which case I don't mind waiting while this thing works out. But he reassures. Whenever you're going through a difficult time, look for his reassuring voice. You'll see shepherds do it. Eh? Make this strange noise. And the sheep feels happy even though he's still going through the same circumstances. Why are we putting assurance of his love in here? Because it says in um, Romans 8, it says, through all this we are conquerors or overcomers through him who loves us. Assured of his love. It's one way to overcome. Assured of his love. Read Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 to Romans 8. Romans 8, 27 or 28. Oh, Sheldon, we forgot to let you say your bit, man. Romans 8. Hopefully. 
Romans 8.37, depending on the version. No, in all these things we are more than overcomers or conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor nothing else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the ways that we overcome. Any questions before we go on? Any questions? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we want to hear because we want to find God's will. I want to know God's will. I want to know what God wants me, uh, what his will for me, what his ministry is for me, what um, his destiny is for me. It, it has been so pumped up destiny, ministry, that you may end up finding your destiny because he reveals it, ministry because he reveals it, but you still can't think like him. What is the point if I find my destiny and my ministry, but I don't think like God? But if I think like God, then it doesn't matter what my ministry or destiny is, I'll begin to walk in it without even knowing it. I want to think like God. Overcoming people will be rewarded. Overcoming people will be rewarded. To him who overcomes, I will always give, says God. Always. A divine guarantee from Christ. And what does he give? He gives what he received from his father. My God, what a God, eh? He gives what he received from his father. Why? Because we are co-heirs with him. He gives what he received from his father. To him who overcomes. When Christ overcame, he received from his father certain things. It's out of that bounty that he gives. So let's look at what he gives. Let's go to Revelations 2.17. We'll just, maybe next time we'll talk about another reward for overcomers uh, i mean uh, why do why am i focusing on rewards because when you look at these rewards man they're worth dying for because this is this is how this is what we should aim for live for all other things will be added on you won't even focus on those things and by the way before i talk about um, the rewards to him who does not overcome I'd like to suggest that what you have will be taken away and give to, given to those that overcome to him that does not overcome when you're in situ situations where you have succumbed to seductions succumbed to temptations succumbed to the opposition of the enemy succumbed to the, um, the persecution and uh, compromise when you succumb to the culture of the world I would suggest to you that what happens to him who does not overcome is that what they have is taken away and given to the one who overcomes just a thought Amen. Revelations 2.17 To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So let's just take those two and we'll not make it. Because it's five to four. Um, let's try. To him who 
overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Guys, the whole idea of hidden manna is in Hebrews 9.4, you find that Paul is talking about the ark in which was kept the two tablets, the uh, Aaron's uh, rod that had budded or staff that had budded and an urn in which there was manna. In Hebrews 9.4, Paul talks about it. He says, and behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark of the Covenant was an urn in which they had put manna, they had Aaron's staff that had budded, and they had the tablets. Hey, that's pretty decent drawing. Yeah, surprising. And so, who said it is actually? Okay. Okay. So, so this was for... <laughs> You think you're going to get a chance to make your announcement now? <laughs> so there's this, there's this ark that was hidden. Uh, there's this ark that had, that had these things. And then something happens. During Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of the temple, everything disappears, man. Nothing is seen anymore. But then in Revelations 11.19, in Revelations 11.19, uh, just before the judgments, heaven is opened again. And one of the things John says is that I saw the ark of God within the heavens. Hidden manna is what we'll talk about and end today. Because we won't be able to get to the second part. And this is so... I so desire this, guys. Um... Go to Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Hebrews 1.3. Here's what it says in Hebrews 1.3. Different words, ways of saying it. The message puts it this way. He holds everything together by what he says. He holds everything together by what he says. Other versions say that he upholds all things by the word of his power. If you were to go and see the actual Greek words, it is by the rhema of his dunamis. Or in other words, everything he does, he does through power-filled words. That's Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3. So here's what God is saying. He's saying, Jacob, if you make it a habit to overcome, I want you to know how I operate. One of the things I do, says God, is I hold everything. I carry everything. I drive everything that exists through the word of my power, through the word of my power. Meaning, I, everything I do, I do with power-filled words. You go to creation, power-filled words. You look at the conception of Jesus, power-filled words. You look at how you were born again, power-filled words. You look at how Satan was defeated, power-filled words. You look at how the flood happened, power-filled words. You look at how I hold the planets in orbit, 
power filled words you look at who my son is my words and power displayed through the person of Jesus Christ who came down in flesh everything i do i do through power filled words rema the word of my power rema of my dynamis meaning everything i do i do through words that carry in it power now let's go to deuteronomy 83 just remember that and we'll come back to this deuteronomy 83 man shall not or look for man shall not live by bread but he shall live by every rema if it's look for or deuteronomy 83 every rema that proceeds from the mouth of god before that he said i fed your fathers manna in the desert that they did not know that they did not know and why did i feed them manna that they did not know so that they may no that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god okay next verse john chapter 6 verse 58 and 63 john chapter 6 verse 58 and 63 i am the living bread that came down John chapter 6 verse 58 and 63 I am the living bread that came down from heaven your fathers ate the bread that came down from heaven and they died not as your fathers ate manna and are dead i am the living bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers who ate the manna and are dead but if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever that's it john chapter 6 verse 58 and finally john 663 john 663 and then we'll tie it all together the words that i speak to you are spirit and life the words that i speak to you are spirit and life the words that i speak to you our spirit and life it is the spirit who gives life it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing all good um flesh profits nothing flesh profits nothing 
Okay, so here's where we begin. Jesus says to overcomers, as in the ones who are able to overcome the seduction of the world, the ones who overcome satanic opposition, the ones who don't compromise through persecution or temptation, the ones who do not get swayed by and overcome by the present way the world thinks and does things. To these, I will give hidden manna to do what? To eat. Hidden manna to eat. So we're trying to say, what is this hidden manna? We, and here's how we go about it. First, Guys, manna at the end of the day, when we talk about it today, manna is simply the proceeding word of God. Manna is the proceeding word of God. God is continuously talking. Israel didn't know what it was. They used the word, what is it? They thought that this was the bread from heaven. They didn't have any idea what it was. Manna today is the proceeding word of God. It is a word that God proceeds from the mouth of God. And here is what God is saying. Jacob, if you overcome, every time you overcome and make it a habit of overcoming, I will do something for you. I will give you words that come out of my heart, which are a present truth for your situation. It will proceed from my mouth and you will hear it. And every time you hear it, you will arrive at the point I want you to arrive at much faster than anybody else because you will not do things by the flesh. You will do things by the word that proceeds from my mouth that comes to you and does whatever I want accomplished in your life. So let me simplify it if that wasn't simple enough. Here's where we start. God does everything through the word of his power. He holds everything, carries everything, drives everything, leads everything, consists everything together by what he says. What he says in the Bible and what he is presently saying today that lines up with the Bible. He does everything by the word of his power. Everything by the word of his power. How does he heal? Word of his power. How does he raise the dead? Word of his power. How does he provide? Word of his power. How does he create? Word of his power. How do you think Aaron and Rennie's child is being formed? Word of his power. How do you think Rhonda's disease is being destroyed? Word of his power. What is there that God does not do by the word of his power? Everything he does by the word of his power, the rhema of his dunamis. Rhema means a word that is released to you at present that carries in it sufficient grace and power to detonate at the right moment in your life, bringing to pass whatever God wants to bring to pass. Therefore, he will say to Daniel, 70 years from now, and on the 70th year, something happens. Therefore, he will say to Nebuchadnezzar, seven years from now, and he's a pagan king, seven years to the day, something will happen. And therefore, he'll say to Israel, on such and such a day, 400 years from now, and on the 400th day, Israel leaves Egypt. And then he says to um, Nathaniel, Go and you will find this year, says to Philip, go and find that day. On that very day, everything is created by the word of his power. I know you've heard this before, but I need to hear this again. Because so many of the things that I do and that we do are sustained sometimes by our wisdom, by our experience, by our knowledge, by the pressures that culture puts on us, by deadlines. But there is only one thing, one thing that God does things by. And that one thing that God does things by is by the word of his power, by the rhema, the proceeding word, the word that he speaks now. Saying, here Marcus, rise. He didn't say it in the Bible. There was no character called Marcus then. But he said, rise. And Marcus rose. 
everything sustained consisted of lead driven by carried on by the word of his power and then once he's established that once he's established in our minds that everything i do is by power filled words then he says i fed your fathers manna and they were happy because all they were looking for was to feed their hungry stomachs poor guys don't be like your fathers don't come to me looking for provision because there is something much greater that i want to give you through which provision healing and plenty everything you need for life and godliness can be supplied to you they even looking when i told them not to look they even looking when i told them to look they would not look when i told them to go to fight they would not fight when i told them not to go to fight they would fight do not be like your fathers do not do what your forefathers did i fed your forefathers manna that they did not know of it was the first time they saw something fall from heaven they did not know of it so much to the point that they asked what is it and so they called it manna i fed your forefathers that manna that they did not know of why so that they may know he fed them what they did not know so that they may know he fed them what they did not know so that they may know know what know that man does not live by any self sustained means man should not live you you should not live this church should not live by self generated means of sustenance it is common sense well it doesn't have a place it does not have a place man should not live i should not live by bread by things that i can make by myself things that i can generate myself things that are self sustaining i should not live like this how should i then live i should live by every rhema every word that comes from the mouth of god that proceeds from the mouth of god how there are two ways one i go to his word and cultivate the discipline of reading it two i cultivate the discipline of listening not for the will of god but for who oh god show me how you think so that i can think like you so that as a man thinketh so shall he be if i begin to think like god so shall i be not god but i shall be like him here on earth as he is so are we the reason i am emphasizing this is so that we stop this nonsense of living by bread we live by every word that comes out of his mouth every word that comes out of god's mouth here is the thing guys this requires then that one verse in the our father prayer to go into effect give us this day our daily bread oh my god how have we made it about provision we are doing exactly what our forefathers did which father will not make sure that his son has food to eat your father who knows what you need before you even ask it you think he'll have you come and ask for food oh father oh please give me some food to eat no 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 it was far more than that it may be that on a very superficial level but behind it is what he told the israelites to do every morning wake up and go looking go looking go looking for what for manna and what is manna the word that proceeds out of the mouth of god 
He said this in Deuteronomy 8.3 and Luke 4, Jesus repeats it to the devil. The hardest discipline to cultivate in Christianity is the discipline of finding God's voice, of tuning your ear and of reading this word. And the devil will do everything in his power, everything in his power to prevent you and to prevent me. He has been highly successful It is the one area where he finds greatest success in my life. As I increase in my function and responsibility, he will try harder to have me read the same amounts that I've been reading for the last 10 years because that will not sustain me for the long journey. I remember God saying recently that, Jacob, if you seek my face, I will give you sure-footedness. If you seek my face, I will give you sure-footedness. Meaning, you will be like a deer on mountain crags and you will not slip because there will be a broad enough place for you to walk. If you seek my face, I will give you sure-footedness. If you read Oscar, uh, Oscar, um, Oswald Chambers from two days ago or three days ago, there's this place where it says, go into your secret place and your father will speak to you in secret, but it is not enough to find a secret place or a chair or a beautiful valley or lake to sit by. Because once you sit by that lake, then come the distractions. Where you're thinking of a hundred other things to do that are super important, that need to be done. But the one thing the devil's been trying and has succeeded is can I keep him away from the one thing that will sustain him? Man shall not live by bread alone. If I could only get him to think about the bread he needs to bake, then he will survive by that. But if I could keep him from listening to the proceeding word of God that comes out of my mouth, then I can have him operate at this happy level. Where he's better than 100 others, but he ain't anywhere near what he ought to be. I will give you hidden manna to eat. When he was speaking to them in the book of John, they had the same problem as their forefathers. They said, but, but why are you saying that we don't have manna? We do. We are great Christians. We do really well. And he said, listen, I am the living bread. Your fathers ate it and they died. Guys, we won't die. We are born again. We will survive. But here's the thing. I would rather that you focus on this and increase than sustain yourself the present way you're doing because I ain't happy with the way I am sustaining myself. Increase in it. Increase in it. And all other things shall be added unto you. It is the hardest thing to do. When you get up in the morning, there'll be the scream in your head. And it's just in your head, eh? Forget when your kids wake up. That's a whole different scream. This is just the internal scream of your head. I got this to do, that to do, this to do, that to do, this to do. Go back to the story Blessie told about her dad. His wife has just died. He loved her a lot. I know that couple. But he gets up in the morning and what does he do? At 4.30 a.m. he gets up and he's still doing what he always does. The discipline of pursuing the word. It's sadly absent in our lives. And if there is one thing that God may upbraid us on in this church, it'll be, come on guys, you've been doing the same thing for five years. Show me an increase in your diet. And he will certainly say to this man,
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And then he goes on to say words that I speak to you, a spirit in life. It is a spirit who gives life. One other version says, every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word and it is life making. Every word that I speak to you are spirit words and they are life making. You know, there's a place in the Bible where in the book of John, disciples come and ask him, how can we work the works of God? How can we work the works of God? It's a common question at Acts 29. How can we work the works of God? How can we do what Jesus did? And I would think Jesus would say, come be trained in the methodology of healing and stuff like that. Instead he says, if you actually believe the one that the Father has sent, you will do the works of God. And the belief there carries a sense of listening and doing. Because at one point in John 4, 32 and 33, Jesus says this, they come and ask him, so how did you survive? You didn't have any food. How, do you, uh, how come you're not eating? And he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And at the end of the day, you can do all the hearing you want and become the most prolific hearer in the world. But after hearing, if it is not followed by an actual obedience of what you hear, then here is what will happen. One, your hearing will be taken away. There is evidence in the Old Testament and the New Testament where it says they are like people who want to hear you sing a song. After you finish singing, they walk away. If you hear, then you must do because otherwise the hearing is taken away. And when you do, you overcome. And when you overcome, God says, hey, come. I'll show you a spot in the desert where I left some manna that no one's picked up yet. Come. And so you go there and there's some hidden manna there. No one's picked it. It's still fresh. Go take that. And then you've had breakfast and he says, yeah, but have some more. I got some more manna that I had strewn. Come here. Take this. And each time you do, you get a fresh revelation of God. You get a fresh perspective of what he's inviting you to. You get to know what he's doing. And you enter into this most amazing place. Most amazing place. Long for it. I long for it. You must long for it. You must long for it. And this is what this place is. The place is, shall I hide from Jacob what I'm going to do? Just, 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 just one sec, Gizla. Shall I hide from Jacob what I'm going to do? It is what he said of Abraham. Abraham is my friend. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Shall I hide from Dano what I'm going to do? Shall I hide from Ruth what I'm going to do? Shall I hide from Aaron what I'm going to do? It is the ultimate place to go to. This is hidden manna. Shall I hide from Jacob what I'm going to do? This is hidden manna. Why am I going to Uttarakhand? Because some one and a half years ago, the Lord said, shall I hide from you what is really happening? I'll show you. Can you get some people together? Go. I wish there were Uttarakhands like this in my life every day. As he begins to include you in the things he's doing, a strange thing will happen, guys. You will be his errand boy, ready to go anywhere. Anywhere. Anywhere, every morning. I bought a, a, a framed poster to put up on my wall in the new place I'm staying at. And it's a map of the world. And under it are two simple words in neon. It says, adventure awaits. 
Every morning I get up and I look at it and I think to myself, so where today, oh God? Burnaby, sure. Bukaro, sure. Bukaro is in Bihar in India. Because now you won't have any problems entering into it. Because he's made you his confidant. Hidden manner. And it'll be in your area of speciality. In your area of speciality. What are you good at in that area? Shall I hide this from Jacob? You know what God is doing right now as I tell you this? He's parting the curtains to give you a glimpse. That's all he's doing right now. And now it is up to you how far you want to pursue it. Please, try, please, please do something about it. Because I do. I do. I do. Let's stop. Gisela, you're going to say something. You know, I just want to say, if you, have, if you learn to feed on man and the 